We may be seated too. Ha <laughs> ha, look at that. We got bar stools. Mainly because Scott walks too much. Um, yep. Yeah. How are y'all doing? Good. Okay. Glad you're here. I'm feeling kind of complicated, actually, <laughs> um, because I'm very excited to preach with Reagan. Um, and I'm also terrified of it because I will overtalk and she'll squeeze my knee. And it's a barstool thing table, so you'll see it. Yep. And so you'll know, like, oh, Reagan's mad. He's talking too much. And so, like, that's going to be going on in my head the entire time. It's going to be fun. It's going to be yeah. really fun. Um, no, this is our first time trying this. The great experiment. The great, let it begin. Yes. Um, we don't know how this is going to go. True story, <laughs> we have not actually, like, full-on rehearsed this message because nope. it got weird. And so, <laughs> we're just like, let's just figure it we out. We can wing it. We kind of know. We've got, like, you know, red and blue. Blue means me. Red means Reagan. Like, like we got the idea, but, like, this could be a disaster. Yeah. Just a fair warning. Sure. Um, and it is going on YouTube, so you can watch yeah. it and enjoy it later as well. If it starts to get off rail, we're just going to talk about the finale of The Bachelorette. Yes, um, which was talk about Peter. trash. Ugh. Three hours wasn't long enough to Brian see that train is such wreck. a plan B. Okay, okay so um, we have been in a sermon series called Then and Now, where we have been, for the first few weeks, we talked about the history of Lover's Lane uh, how it informs not only who we were and who we are, but who we want to be in the future. And then a couple weeks ago, we started talking about evangelism. So we, we know who we are. We've got this idea of you know, loving all people in a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do, we, how do we get that message out into our communities in a way that is effective, in a way that is healthy, in a way that is inspiring? Um, and so we've been talking about that. Because uh, if there's one thing I know, it's that um, evangelism is one of those things that people either really love, and then I'm like kind of concerned about you, or it's something that people really don't enjoy. And so we've been trying to remove those stumbling blocks um, from us. So uh, all that being said, today we're going to talk about what does it mean to listen. Um, and I, I'd like to open us with a word of prayer. God, please be with Reagan and I. Please, 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 please. Uh, no, God, be with this entire community of faith as we uh, prepare to hear your word for us this morning. Allow us to listen well. And God, speak through Reagan and I. Allow us to walk humbly in your will. In your sons, let me pray. Amen. Amen. So recently I heard a report that literally kind of took my breath away. And uh, doctors are finding this new health crisis that possibly could be the number one public health crisis. And it's crazy. So the, uh, this problem, the effect on the body, uh, has the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Um, that through brain scans and other technology, they can see that this problem has also the same impact on your body, physical body, if you were a lifelong alcoholic. So this problem seems to be taking years off of lives because of the damage psychologically and physically. And I would bet that some of us in this room have it. Or maybe you have had it before, or you know someone who maybe has it. And do you want to know what it is? It's a loneliness. loneliness. Who's giggling? Pipe down. Get out. Pipe. Mom and dad are teaching. Pipe down. That's right. She's teaching. I'm just disciplinarian this morning. That's my whole role. And so I was listening to this podcast, uh, Jen Hatmaker, who's my spirit animal and idol, who liked my tweet this week and yes, quoted me. Yes, we all me. know. We so, all know she liked your tweet. It's fine. We all know. 
she did a, a podcast with this woman named uh, Shasta, um, Shasta Nelson, and she studies uh, friendship, and, um, and she actually has this book called Friend Intimacy, Friend and Intimacy Together. And she's done all these studies. And so she also um, went on to talk about this, that if a patient is obese, a chain smoker, and lonely, the doctor's going to tackle the lonely thing first. If they have more of a chance of beating those other things, if they have community that surrounds them. Because um, not having someone in your life has, the same, has such a profound effect on our health. And so with that... Let's read um, the story of the Samaritan woman in John 4. This is coming from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to to the well to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. um, She said, Why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? If you recognized God's gift and who is saying to you, Give me some water to drink, you would be asking him, and he would give you living water. Sir, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Go, get your husband. Come back here. I don't have a husband. You are right to say I don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you are now with isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Believe me, woman. The time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. I am the one who speaks with you. So, to understand this scripture today, we're not going to be breaking down line by line. We're going to talk more about this idea of what does it mean for Jesus to have a conversation with this woman at the well. I mean, it's the savior of the world. He could probably say some magic word and convert her immediately, and yet that's not what happens. Instead, we see this long, almost the entire chapter 4 of the Gospel of John is this conversation with this unnamed Samaritan woman. So, um, Let's talk about why her being a Samaritan is important. Um, Maybe this is your first time in church. I don't want to assume anything. Uh, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They had a rivalry. They were enemies going back generations upon generations. They were from the same original lineage of Abraham, 
but their tribes had taken different paths. And so there is a deep-seated hatred between these two groups. So that's why the gospel says Jesus had to go through Samaria, right? If it had been up to a Jew, they would never set foot in Samaria. That's the part of the country you avoid because you don't want to be around those kinds of people, right? And so uh, for Jesus to go to Samaria and for him to ask for water from a Samaritan woman... Now, that, that would have been a big deal. That would have been breaking lots of cultural rules of engagement. Um, the other thing that we should notice is that she's there at noon. Um, it's August. How hot is it at noon? It's pretty hot, right? I've, I've been in the Israel area. It feels a lot like Texas. It gets hot there at noon, too. Um, for the woman to be going at noon, if you were someone of good standing in the community, if you wanted to get water, the last time of the day that you would want to go is around noon. You'd go early in the morning, you'd go late in the evening. If he had showed up at like 7 a.m., at like 7 p.m., it would have been crawling with people. The whole town would have been there gathering water. He comes at noon, and she's alone. So immediately, we know something about this woman. Jesus knows something about this woman. There's something about her and about her story that has led her to be ostracized from her community. She's not welcome at the well early in the morning and late in the evening. She has to come at noon. Um, that's pretty much all the cool, fun stuff I, I, I want to teach this morning. I mean, there's a lot more, but yeah, <clears throat> she squeezed my leg and you didn't see it, so i got to stop. <laughs> so it's interesting, when I was reading this story again, and it's amazing every time you read scripture, something else kind of jumps out. And when I was thinking about through the lens of loneliness, that granted she... You know, marrying multiple times and different things that she was really looked down upon at this time. But it's interesting when I think about, so she had five husbands. So I'm sure some of the townspeople were thinking, well, she's not lonely. Clearly, she's got someone with her all the time. Mm -hmm. She's she's got a companion, whether it's a a very good one. Um, It can be easy to think people have who they need. And so I know in my own life, like sometimes there's people that I want to be friends with or I want to hang out with, um, but I see like, well, their life is so full. Like, look how many people they're hanging out. They're always at events. They're always doing things or, um, you know, they've got, they've got a great spouse and kids. I'm sure their life is so full. And what I find is that there are people that, are, that have lots of relationships, are very busy, do things, but are incredibly lonely and we can assume that people have what they need um, and they don't I think you know as as great as Scott is um, most days um, (laughs) there are still moments where there's something within me that needs something deeper that needs something um, just different more and so I have to be intentional about seeking more this than out this? I know it's amazing I know what more could you I possibly know. want <laughs> um, so my goal is to derail this I whole know, sermon I know it's gonna happen and so I think we when we think about people when we you know just don't ever assume that people have these deep uh, connections where they feel like they are able to grow and that they feel loved and valued because that just isn't the case and so that's when I read the Samaritan woman I think about people in my life, I'm like, you know, maybe I need to reach out. I need to listen to hear how they truly are, how their heart truly is. Because 
chances are people don't really ask you all the time and like really mean it. Like, how is your heart? Mm. How is your life? And so how can we be that kind of people? Because Jesus essentially does this. Um, he sees her fully and, and loves her. So. Yeah. So loneliness is something that's going to be on the hearts of people that we go out and we evangelize to. So this morning we, we thought, let's, let's talk about ways in which we can consider how do we approach a world that is increasingly lonely where people feel like they're not noticed, they're not heard, they're at the well alone. So um, I've got a weird last name, Gilliland, yeah, it's really fun. It's like super Scotch-Irish. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She was Reagan Welsh, now she's Gilliland, right? That was fun. Um, and I had a speech impediment when I was a kid. Let's talk about that later, actually, in this sermon. Um, and so Gilliland was always a fun name for me growing up. Uh, now, I will say it's, it's become a perk, uh, a little bit of a perk now that I've gotten older, because I always, always, always know when a telemarketer's calling me. Um, because I'll get them on the phone, and, and it, I mean, you guys know what it's like. You know, hello, mister, and then they'll pause. And like, oh, it's my favorite time of my <laughs> What's life. What's it going to be this time? I live for that pause. I'm like, oh, do it. Do it, dude. Do it. Try. Try me. I've heard them all. Yep. Mr. Um, um, Gilliard. Nope, don't know him. <clears throat> Hang yeah. up, you know. That's it's, not. It's a hard name. It's, it's not that hard. Like, well, Gilliland. Y'all say Gilliland. Boom! Y'all could be excellent telemarketers. Yeah. You'd sell me all sorts well, of stuff. Well, when we got, uh, we'd been married a few months, and uh, I looked at my phone, and I had his name spelled wrong, because, <laughs> That I is mean, true. That we is dated true. eight weeks, got engaged. There's yeah. minor details. Because yeah, when I yeah. first met him on staff, I was like, I guess I need this guy's number. Gil, I don't even know what I put, like Gilliam, or, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Gilliana. I just I gave know. up. Yeah. So... so. So I think a lot of us think that, that when we go out to evangelize, we, we're, we're sort of like telemarketers. We're supposed to have this script, right, where we've got, like, this is my testimony. This is my story of what Jesus means to me and what he's done for my life. And all that changes is the person's name that you're talking to. And, like, the thing is people know when they're hearing a script, right? You know a telemarketer when you hear their voice on the other end of the line. People don't like feeling like their name is interchangeable. That, that, that doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel real. It's not compelling. I don't buy a lot of stuff from telemarketers over the phone. Um, and, and so I think sometimes we need to remember that, that our evangelism doesn't need to be a script. We don't need to have this polished story, this polished, compelling testimony that we can take to anybody and everywhere. Because the reality is the gospel is going to sound different to different people. The gospel is going to sound different to different people. The message of the gospel doesn't change, but the way that it's shared is going to change. Our, our Bibles, <clears throat> thank you, coffee. Mm. Our Bibles are like a, a testament to this, right? We've got four gospels in the Bibles. I mean, you know why that is. It's because, <clears throat> this is really fun. Um, <clears throat> all right, y'all like hearing that? Does that sound good in the microphone? <laughs> Does that sound nice, pleasing? So uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, why do we have four? They all tell the story of Jesus Christ. Why not whittle it down, edit, combine, make them one? Because each one tells a different story. You know, Mark's gospel is designed for new Christians. It's designed to embolden them, and that's why it tells the story of these sort of foolish disciples who don't understand Jesus. Luke's gospel is for Gentile Christians, Greek 
uh, people. So it uses a lot of Greek philosophy language in explaining who Jesus is. Matthew's gospel is for Jewish people. So it starts out with this huge lineage from David to Jesus that like nobody in our context really cares about anymore. But back then, that was everything to them. And, and then John's gospel, the one we're reading today, that, that was for an established later Christian community who needed theological foundation because they were beginning to hear false teachings and they needed someone to tell them what is the story of Jesus. So we have all these four different gospels and yet today we got into our heads that like there's one way to tell people about Jesus. There, there's one script that I need to have to tell everybody about Jesus. And that's just simply not true. We, we have to get out into our communities and we have to listen to understand what's the gospel that they need to hear. And like after what happened Friday night, like after anything like that happens or Saturday morning, um, after any acts of violence or acts of hatred or acts of racism, like I'm convicted all over again of how much am I opening myself up to hear perspectives that are different than mine? How much am I opening myself up to hear stories that are different from mine so that I can understand what is the gospel truth for everybody and not just me in this world? I think as long as the Christian church continues to try to sell a white American vision of Jesus, uh, you know, it, we're going to be failing the gospel. Because Jesus is bigger than that. And so I look at what happened Friday and Saturday, and I wonder, what can I do here? Well, the first thing I can do is I can actually stop and I can talk to people, and I can hear their stories, and I can stop and I can talk to people who have different colors of skin than I do, who have different stories because their skin color is different than mine. Like, that's crazy that we still have to say that, but it's true. And until I wake up and realize that that's true and I need to hear those stories and I need to hear those experiences, then I will be half as good a pastor as I could be. I'd be 25% the pastor that I could be. And until we all open ourselves up to those stories and realize that racism very much is still a thing and your color of your skin very much still can dictate the way that you're treated in this world, we are going to be a less effective church and less effective Christians and less effective evangelists until we recognize that, we repent of our sin, and we engage with people at the dialogue again, okay? Um, yeah, all right. That's great. I think I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm off my pedestal for a second, yeah. Um, we're going to go ahead and move uh, to our second, second point. Um, and we, we, as we talked, we thought, you know, what, what's really the basis of this? And we, th we decided that sometimes what people need to hear most is that they've been heard. Um, and we kind of, Scott kind of just touched on that already, um, already. So why don't you tell you your... you want me to tell my story? Yeah, tell your story. This is... So I had a speech impediment, right? So, so um, you know, speech therapy kids, unite, anybody? Come on, come on, power up. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I said Sesame Street was Fweet Fweet, and Captain Crunch was Tapton Fwench, and Lucky Charms was Yucky Farms. Um, and uh, one day my aunt was picking me up from school, I was like four or five, and uh, I think, and uh, she, I was telling her about my day, I was talkative kid, don't know if you noticed, and... Uh, I was telling her about lunch, uh, yunch. I was telling her all about my yunch and uh, what I ate. And at one point, I, got really, I, said, I said, Aunt Debbie, I had fwing seeds. She said, fwing seeds? I said, no, Aunt Debbie, no, fwing seeds. <laughs> Scott, it sounds like you're saying fwing seeds. Now I'm getting really, Aunt Debbie, fwing seeds. Weed my whips, fwing seeds. Yike a wope, Aunt Debbie, fwing seeds. And she goes, Oh, string cheese. Okay. Yes, Aunt Debbie. Yike awoke. Fwing seeds. It's really frustrating when you feel like people are not hearing you. Yeah? Have you ever experienced that? Maybe not when you were four or five. Have you experienced that this last week? 
it's, it's frustrating when you feel like you're not being heard. So um, I used to, in college, uh, I'd spend a summer telling people uh, about Christ by doing like the random conversations. Um, I actually carried around a little track book. I know. Um, whew, and, uh, but it was actually so life-changing for me. Like, that's not everyone's cup of tea, but, you know, I talked to so many people that summer, random people on the beach, um, at my work at SeaWorld. It was very exotic. Uh, I worked in a kitchen, so, you know, it's not, it's not fun. Um, but of all the people I talked to, there was only really one conversation that summer where, where um, a girl did accept Christ. And I think when we um, talk about people need to be heard, I think the reason I didn't have a higher success rate, um, again, I believe that God does prepare things and is working in people's hearts all the time. And so I was just at the right time at the right place. God had already laid that foundation. But the reason I feel like later on in my ministry career, the reason I've been more successful is because I have um, let people um, talk, and I've listened, and I've heard them. It wasn't just, yeah, saying my speech, just putting their name in. Um, I think really sitting and just being present with people. And so I really love Scott a lot, and he is a great pastor. I love it when she starts with that, because <laughs> now I know the butt is coming. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, but there it was. There's, yeah. there was. <laughs> well, you know, we meet with people a lot, one on one or as a couple and different things. And sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too. Uh-huh. You're Just, more so. Come on. Come okay. On, bring it. So he'll come home and I'll be like, So, how was your conversation with so and so? And he's like, It was great, you know. And I'm like, So, what's going on? And he'll say some things. I'm like, And then I'll prompt him like some more like details. Like, Okay, well, when did it happen or so and so? And he's like, Oh, uh, I don't know. Don't tell them that. Um, sorry. sorry. That's bad. Confession. And um, he's better now. He's better now. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And there it is. Yeah. Is that? That's, yeah. Forget? Okay. Great. And, Faith uh, restored in the community. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but sometimes we just like to hear the sound of our own voice. I love you, but uh-huh. you do love to talk. It's okay. a good voice. It's a good, yeah, it's sure. It's a good one. A face made for radio, right? That's right. Okay. Radio. <laughs> and so... Uh, I think sometimes when we meet with people, when they, like, sometimes you have friends that come to you with crisis, and they want to talk, and sometimes you have all the advice or all the tips, and then you walk away, and maybe someone asks you, and you go, oh, yeah, it was great, and because I told them this, and I, 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 and you actually didn't even listen to the person, and, and so I would encourage us, as we, as we strive to be people that are fully present with one another, that they would be that they would be heard, and sometimes people just need you to sit. They just need to sit, and I think sometimes we shy away from um, hard conversations. Or I know maybe if someone's going through like a significant loss, and you say, "Well, I don't know what to say," and you're like, "That," and I have to tell you, it's that's okay. Mm. Sometimes you just need someone to sit and be with you, um, and don't ever forget how powerful that can be, and how that can actually comfort someone in more ways than you will ever, ever know. So, I, I want, I, again, I want to talk about um, this in light of what happened this weekend. You know, I, I think not feeling heard can be frustrating. It can be painful. I think it can be very painful uh, when entire people groups feel unheard. And I made reference in my prayer earlier uh, that I think the only people who were not surprised by what happened 
at least when I was looking at my Facebook feed, were my friends and colleagues who were African-American, who were Latino, who were Middle Eastern, um, who had experienced racism at the hands of white people. Like, we got to start naming some stuff. Uh, we got to get real a little bit. Um, uh, they were not surprised by what happened because what happened on Friday night, Saturday morning, is like a big, in-your-face version of what people experience every single day of their lives. And, and I feel like my colleagues and my friends were saying, finally, someone's listening. Like, we've been saying this kind of stuff is real. Maybe they're not carrying torches. Maybe they're not carrying Nazi flags. But this kind of stuff is real. We experience it every single day. And so... Um, I wish that we could get to a point as a, as a country, as a community, where we don't need the big in-your-face moment to remind us that, that what they're saying is true, right? That what our brothers and sisters yeah. are saying is true. Um, I'm reminded of the Ray Rice issue from the NFL a couple years ago when everybody knew that he had abused his girlfriend in a, in a terrible way. And in fact, we knew that there was video evidence, and yet nothing was done until that video evidence was made public. Once we saw it, all of a sudden, we heard what had been true the whole time. Yeah. And so I think one thing we got to keep in mind as we talk about this, this is, this is great in the interpersonal sense, but as a people, as a larger community, how can we be sure that we hear our brothers and sisters with different experiences than us, that we can believe them to be true before something like this has to happen? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, one thing later in the scripture, the Samaritan woman, as she goes back to the town to tell people, which I think is really interesting, she says, come meet Jesus, the man, or she doesn't say, come meet Jesus, the man I, who I know is God. She says, come meet Jesus, the man who knows me. Um, and I think that's really, uh, again, it's really such a powerful thing to feel like you've been, that you are known fully. And what's interesting is uh, right after she first meets Jesus, the disciples come running in and they were really annoyed that this woman was talking to Jesus. They were, you know, almost trying to shoo her off and kind of saying, Jesus, why are you talking to her? Like they just viewed her as a nuisance, as an intrusive, as someone that they just wanted to get out. And I think that kind of ties in to sometimes how we can view even racism and different things like, oh, just get away. Like, you're just, you're invading my life or you're... I don't want to talk about it. Can't we yeah, just don't move want to on? talk about it. We don't want to move on. And we miss these, these moments and these times where we can speak up, where we can do something. And um, sometimes these small moments that we have with people are these um, small bad moments. Like, it's easy just to shoo them away. I think we need to open our eyes a lot more and um, and just do something about it. Uh, one book that I have really enjoyed this past year is Present Over Perfect and learning how to um, get rid of some of the bad distractions and say no to things so we can actually engage in, in things that really matter, um, that are life-giving and that challenge us um, because we spend so much time getting inundated with all this stuff and I think God is asking us to to really kind of have his eyes and his heart for the world and the people that he loves dearly and I think we need to be invested so much more um, and it, it is going to interrupt our life but it's going to interrupt our life in a really good way so. keep going 
That's all you I got, got. There's more red. That's all I got. That's no, that's you too. <laughs> that's that's red, and that's blue. Thanks. Color so that's you. We're moving on to point three. Yeah, we're on point three. Oh. And it's red. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> First time. Okay. Right. So. <laughs> Uh, as we kind of talked about before, we don't need to sell people uh, on our relationship with, with God. And it goes back, you know, there's that phrase, or in teaching, like, you can tell someone how to do something, but you need to kind of show them. And I'm learning so much more about um, inviting people into my, into my life and maybe asking others, hey, can I be invited into your life? Um, and you're not having to prove, you're not giving a three-point sermon every time to them to tell them, this is what you need to know about Christ. This is what you need to do. This, you know, but really showing them um, how you live Monday through Saturday, how uh, you um, handle situations that are tricky, how you handle, um, you know, tragedy. How do you, how do you speak up when there's racism? And you know, when we invite people along uh, with us, I think they get to know. They get to know Christ. Um, we need to be um, living in a way that people are saying, you know, maybe this Christ person is real. Maybe could this man that I kind of know about, maybe I've read about in the scriptures, is he really the Christ? Is he really the Messiah? Is he the one that really can um, comfort me and, and help me and change me and make me a better person? And I think everything we do should make people scratch their head and say, could this be the Christ? Could this be real? Is this thing the real deal? Um, so, yeah. So I want to I close um, just with sort of a, a personal testimony because um, it's, it's, it's been a weird week. It's been a crazy week. Um, last night, uh, Stan's daughter, uh, Emily, and uh, she got married to Jonathan Bryant, and, and that was awesome. We were excited for that. Um, they got married? I thought it was just Andy being a flower girl. No, it was not the Andy Flower oh. Girl show. Um, okay. She did make it all the way down the aisle. We will rent her out for $150 a wedding. Yep. Um, she is perfect and adorable. Uh, but I want to talk about um, something that's been going on in my life for the last couple of years that, that to me is such a testament to what happens when we listen um, and, and what God's been doing in my life. So, so two years ago... Um, I met a, a young man named Thierry Shimway at uh, a, one of our youth ministry mission trips. Um, we were in Louisiana, and he was on my work team. And during the course of that week, I, I asked a question during lunchtime of, you know, what's your favorite memory? And, uh, and you know, of course, kids were, I was expecting them to say, you know, I went to Disney World, or, oh, I did this, or I did that. Thierry's answer was, my favorite memory was when I set foot in America for the very first time. And that's when I began to hear about Thierry's story of immigration. Um, he was born in uh, a small country called Burundi uh, near Uganda. Um, and he had been on the run um, from war-torn regions uh, almost his entire life. Uh, about 10 years ago, he was living in a refugee camp and, uh, and violence came in. His mom and dad weren't there. Um, they were off working that day, so he, he and his brother were separated from his parents. Didn't find his mom for over a month. Ended up finding her in another refugee camp. They didn't find their dad for over seven years. Um, didn't know if he was alive or dead. Um, they make their way to Rwanda. They're in the immigration process, and when they're in the immigration process, they find their dad. And they're like weeks from coming to America. And their options are either come to America, um, 
and leave dad behind and hopefully he gets here or wait with dad. They decided to come and to trust that dad would make it. Two years later, dad was able to finally make it. So I hear Terry's story. And then a couple days later, um, and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm moved by it. I mean, it's powerful. What have I done in my life that's like even a tenth that hard? Um, a couple days later, I asked the kids, what do you want to do when you, when you grow up? And uh, they say engineer, they say teacher. They... Terry says, I want to be a soccer player. He's not joking. He's like, got the series, like, I'm going to play soccer. I'm like, oh, okay. So I asked the kids, like, can he actually play soccer, or is this just like a kid that wants to play? No, he's really, really good. I said, Terry, do you want to play in college? Yeah. Like, that, I want to play soccer in college. Okay, cool. Um, are you playing for a club team? No. I said, well, that's going to be, man, uh, you know, club teams like are everything for getting into to collegiate soccer programs. I said, why aren't you in a club team? He says, well, you know, my mom, she works all the time. We don't have a lot of money. I don't have transportation. And I began to listen, and of course, God begins to put a thought in my mind that I'm thinking, this is going to get dangerous, like you're about to agree to a lot more than you want to. Have you ever had those moments where you're like, I hear you, God, stop talking, I don't want to take this on. I had no idea what being a soccer dad was like. Y'all, it's insane. It is literally insane. Um, but I listened, and, and then I started talking to people about Terry, and uh, a, a man on our staff named Jimmy Emery, who leads our worship and music ministries, he listened, and he said, hey, my kids play on a soccer club. He should play there. In fact, let me help support Terry to play soccer there. In fact, let, how about our family? We, we can help drive him there at times. We can help drive him home. Um, what? You've got like 18 children, Jimmy. How are right. you committing to so. like this 18. too? Yeah. But he listened. And, um, and then the soccer coach there listened and he said, you know, Terry's really good and I'm afraid he's not going to get the exposure he needs at this club. So next year, let me get you in contact with a, a more high profile club. We'll get him in that one. So we go to the newer club, and he goes to this showcase tournament, and there's these scouts from a small Methodist college in Kansas called Southwestern College, and they see Terry play. And they listen first to his fancy footwork and his soccer skills, but then we talk on the phone, and they listen to his story. And their hearts are warm. They want to help him, so they, they begin texting and helping Terry with the application process. They're keeping me updated. Um, long story long, <laughs> he gets in. Uh, and then there's the issue of finances, right? College is expensive. Private college in Kansas is expensive. And uh, I'm freaking out because I'm a soccer dad. And uh, I'm talking to somebody about Terry. And, and one of our friends here at this church, she, she had heard of Terry's story. And she says, you know, my, 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 I've got a friend. His dad's on the board of trustees. And, like, his grandfather was the president of the college. And I'm like, yeah, great. Can I talk to him, please? You know? <laughs> um, and they listened. And they were moved by it. And the president at Southwestern College knows Terry's name. He knows his story. The board of trustees know Terry's name. They know his story. Scholarship boards at that school know Terry's name. They know his story. And this past Friday, I was looking at images of hate-filled uh, white guys carrying torches, shouting non Nazi nonsense. And this Friday, I'm driving Terry to Winfield, Kansas to drop him off at college. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's not a story about how Pastor Scott is cool. What that is is a story about what happens, what God will do in your life if you're willing to listen to someone who needs their story to be heard. That is a story about what will happen when we as a community, it wasn't me. This was me and Jimmy and Jill and their kids and the School of Southwestern and this church for allowing a student ministry like this to exist where we could go on mission trip together and meet. There were hundreds of people involved in Terry's story being heard. You all were involved, whether you know it or not, in Terry's story being heard. And so our world is broken, our country's broken, we got racists, we got hateful people. I've got racism in my heart that I work on every single day, and you do, and you do, and you do, we all do. But there's love in this world too. 
And there's hope in this world if you're willing to look for it. And I guarantee you'll find it a lot faster if you start listening to people's stories. Amen. I'm done. Let's go. We're late. We're late. Reagan, will you pray for us? I'll pray for us. Yeah. God, we thank you for the, the way that you take the time to listen, that you are never rushed, that you simply want to be present with us. Allow us to be just like you, that we would sit and listen and listen more, and that we would be just feet that carry love and grace, and that we stand up and we fight when we see injustice, that we would not be okay with hurt and brokenness because we know you are not. Thank you for your love. God, I'm just, I don't even know what to say, God. Thank you for being patient and just being, being you and loving us through it all. It's your name.